all, happy Labor Day weekend. Yeah, everybody's excited to not work tomorrow. Yeah, I could tell that. Um, name is Brandon Ziski, lead pastor here. If you're a guest with us, we're thrilled, we're delighted and honored that you chose to worship with us this morning. We'll let you know that we're a church that's simply about Jesus. We believe that when you encounter him, it changes everything. He's the reason why we do what we do, and he's ultimately the reason why we exist. And so we love to talk about him. We love to worship him because he is everything. And so this morning, um, we're going to have a lot of fun this morning, and I'm also going to let you know that when we have like these Vision Sunday talks, they're like kind of like family messages, and I get really excited. So I'm going to try to slow down and not go through everything, because last service, I almost preached for a good hour, and so I promise you, I won't do that. Maybe 59 minutes, but not an hour, okay? Uh, so this week, this week launched the unrivaled passion across the nation. And some of you guys might not be football fans, but boy, let me tell you, it is good that football season is back. Hey, anyone? Like, college football is, is a beast unto itself. Like, it brings out the crazy in people just because of, you know, who they're connected to, their alma mater and all this kind of stuff. And so, I mean, like, being up north, Big Ten's a big deal, but like when you get up to like Minnesota, I'm not knocking on the Gophers, but nobody really cared a lot about U of M sports unless it was hockey, right? Like so, like football or kind of nothing, basketball or nothing. But like down here, it like it is a game changer. College football, big deal. Like I like big deal to the degree that I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice my passion for the Badgers to. Be a Badger fan and a Longhorn fan, because quite frankly, they'll never play each other. And so I'm trying to learn how to be a Longhorn fan, because like right now, they're not talking about college football north. You know what they're talking about? What's coming? Uh, ice fishing. Wow. <laughs> Maybe. Um, they're talking about what's coming on Thursday, the Bears-Packers. Like they're talking about that to the degree. True story. You want to talk about passion. True story. One year, the Bears play the Packers for opening day, just like this year. I preached in my, um, in my sweetness jersey, the Chicago Bears, you know, jersey. One of my friends in the church got up, literally, in the center aisle, booed me, and walked out. <laughs> I was just like, I know he's not leaving the church, but wow! He, he watched the sermon out in the, the lobby area. But nonetheless... Down here, big deal. I was driving around, saw this picture, and I was just thinking about the dynamic in that house. I was just like, how does this work? You know, so is this like a pecking order, or is this like people, and by the way, this is not Scott Krieger's home. Some of you might be thinking, you know, if you know him. Like, you know, maybe their kids go to Clemson and OU, but like, how does this work? Like, Clemson, okay, I get it, but like, why would you, like, that, and it, below or above the UT thing, right? It's like, you just can't do that. So some of you Longhorn fans, like, who are diehard, devoted, passionate Longhorn fans, you're like, you're like a little mad right now, like, honestly. So I was like, okay, went in Austin, drink the Kool-Aid. So I wanted to know how to be part of the Longhorn tribe, and I discovered six things. I Googled it, and I saw these six things. They said this. This is how you become a Longhorn fan. I was like, okay. So the first one is you're just born into it. It's a cultural thing. So, for instance, if mom and dad... They have an ultrasound, and they see that. They immediately go, it's destiny, right? And so it's just, this kid is going to UT, right? And so that kid comes out, is born to this world, and is 
dressed up in UT garb and knows the color burnt orange well before it knows the word mama, right? Like it just happens. So that's one thing. You just got to be born into it. The second thing is, is you learn what burnt orange is. It's not orange, it's burnt orange, and it's not to be confused with the other orange of the other UT, which a lot of my friends go to UT, the volunteers, they're like, this is the real orange. And I'm like, oh yeah, but the orange in Texas, no, 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 no. The Longhorns would say, no, it's burnt orange. And so if you're a Longhorns fan, burnt orange is one of your primary colors. It's not just a color, it's your primary color. Third thing is, you know, you know how to hook them horns, right? And so like we knew about the sign up north, like, you know, it's kind of a big deal. So um, again, Longhorn fan in training. I was corrected after first service because I did this. Come on, I'm trying. They're like, you got to turn it around. I said, at least I didn't do, you know, I didn't do that. But like, it was innocent. But it's like, I remember going to my first football game. And like, I just, I just wanted to be a fan. I want to watch the game. But I was sitting in the UT section, the fan section. And I honestly felt like if I didn't like join the, the Longhorn deal, like, I am not part of this world. And so I just gave in, and I just did it, and all of a sudden I'm watching people do this thing, and they're doing it on a cadence with a song, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So it's like, you, you learn it. And, and the best part about this, this is like a, a key to enter into a secret society. Like, you could do this to anybody, and if they're a Longhorn fan, you've just became best friends for life. Like, this, this covers a multitude of sin, okay? So... The fourth, the fourth thing you know is that, um, this is why I heard, this is what Google said, that Longhorn fans think, that's the key word, think that working on the railroad sounds a lot like the eyes of Texas. <laughs> and you can't convince a Longhorn fan that the eyes of the railroad was written first. Just can't do it. Sixth thing, in order to be a Longhorn fan, is you've got you, you to have a hard time liking A&M or OU. Even if, <laughs> I, I heard it. I heard that. Okay, even if you're not a fan of the Longhorns and you still don't like A&M and OU, you are friends of the Longhorns. So learn that. And the last sign that you are part of the Longhorn tribe is that you have yet to move on from Vince Young's comeback against USC. <laughs> True story. True story. So I want to ask you, do I belong? Am I part of the Longhorn culture? So this is my workstation. I always do sermon work Saturday night, and this is what I had, I'm sorry, set up on my computer last night as I was working on my sermon. Come on, does, am I not now part, like, am I in? Am I in? Okay. I, I share all of this just to make a point. We're, we're devoted people. Like, we're passionate people. Like, that's the way God created us. And we, we find ourselves oftentimes very passionate, very devoted to the things that mean a lot, that have grabbed our hearts in a lot of different ways in different circumstances. Like, we are devoted to our sports teams, and we're willing to talk about it and, and, and like, inundate other people with it. We're, we're willing to even adjust our schedules and our time frames and our dollars around that passion, around that devotion. This morning on Vision Sunday, I want to talk to you about your devotion. I want to talk to you about your passion. And I want you to start thinking about that in the context of church. Because Scripture is going to speak some 
like beautiful things. And I believe this morning, God has something for us this morning that's going to drastically shape the heart of this church. And I want you to hear this because I want to speak to you this morning specifically about your devotion and your passion. I want you again to walk out of here and see church the way that Jesus sees church and to understand the heartbeat of church the way that he understood the heartbeat of church. So I want to talk a little bit about church and I want to talk about what it is and what it's not and how that influenced the early church and where we stand in light of all of that this morning. The church, in Jesus' perspective, was always defined around a who. Church was always designed around a who, and that who was Jesus. It was around the kingdom of God. It was centered around the historical events of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was a group of people who gathered together around that where Jesus was that cornerstone. He was the anchor point. That was church, okay? It was always who before what. The what was always secondary. What they did always came as a result of who they were and who they were gathering around. So when we look at a passage, let's say like Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi and he brought his disciples there and he's talking to them and he asks them this question, he's like, who do people say that I am? You know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say some other prophet, you know, this and that. Looks at his disciples, who do you say that I am? You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he gives this, this line. He's like, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, the word here in the Greek for church is ekklesia. Now, that word is a beautiful word because that word speaks of a gathering of people, an assembly of people who are gathered around a common mission, a common vision, a common purpose. And so in this case, it was Jesus and the gospel. That was the common part. So I will build my church. In other words, I'm going to build my a people who are gathered around me. Like, that's the church. It, it's, it's not what we think of brick and mortar, right? We, we've changed this concept, and we, we go, oh, I'm going to church, and we think church is a proximity, it's location, it's, it's a resource, a facility. Jesus would have never, have ever, have ever made that connection. He would have never said, oh, we're going to church. Because we are the church. The ecclesia are those who have gathered around the gospel, around Jesus. It's a dynamic and fluid definition. It's people who are a movement with him. Like, this is powerful. It's always been defined as a movement. And so when we look at the Bible, what we discover is what they did, what the early church did was a natural result of who they were. It wasn't the opposite. It wasn't like, well, this is what we do as a church. We go to a building. We sing this. We do that. Here's the order of worship. It's an hour and 15-minute service. The sermon's got to be done by 40 minutes because I got a brisket in the smoker and the game's on and all this kind of stuff. So chop, 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 chop. That was church. Church was good. Church was inspiring. We, like, that was a great church service. Like, all of those phrases would have never computed in the mind of the early church. Never have computed. The concept and definition of church changed over the years. Around 300 AD, a guy by the name of Constantine, kind of a big deal, 
Constantine, you know, he became the emperor of Rome and he made Christianity the official religion of Rome. And at that point, the institution of church came in and it adopted some other practices and things and it became real structural. And then the concept of church had a different definition. And the best way to describe it is the German word, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I will butcher it, Kirk, whatever. But that word is a static meaning. Around 300, 400 A.D., church was defined as the Lord's house. It moved from a dynamic, fluid definition of church being who central, we're gathered around Jesus, to a focus around we're going to church. Will you come with me to church? I like my church. And all these kind of things, rather than understanding that the church really is a movement that's following the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. Church needs to be descriptive, not prescriptive. Because the harpy, what we're going to see this morning is what they did flowed out of who they were. They didn't have a blueprint for church. They didn't know what to do. Zero. They didn't have seminars. They didn't have church growth conferences. They didn't have seminaries. They didn't, they didn't have workshops. They didn't have budgets and votes and all these types of things. They didn't have any of that. Any of that. So how did they do this? They were centered around who? If anything, the early church just basically had two two commands early on. When you think about the apostles, Matthew 28, go into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them everything. Like, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Okay, well, there's there's our, our mission. You know, around that, when Peter and those guys were like, okay, now, Lord, what do we do? They're like, you just wait and pray for the Holy Spirit, and then you'll know what to do. When we look at Acts, I, I, I love, like, this, I'm, I'm such a simpleton, and these things, like, really um, are entertaining to me. It's just like, there's no creativity in the titles of any of the letters in the New Testament, right? Matthew, well, why do we call it Matthew? Well, more than likely, Matthew wrote it. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, well... <laughs> Luke wrote it. Isn't that an engaging title? But Luke wrote volume one and volume two, the gospel of Luke, which was to talk about Jesus, who he was and what he did. And then volume two, he wrote was Acts. They were supposed to go together. And when you think about the definition of Acts, like we just read that, we're like, oh, it's just what it's called. But there was a specific reason. Luke wanted people to know forever to go, this is what the church did as a result of Jesus. Right? Like, this is what they did. They were on movement. This, these were the acts of the early church because of Jesus. Now, this is what I want to talk about. When you look at what happens in the letter of Acts, there are two things that stand out clearly, and these two things will dictate and inform your devotion and your passion for Jesus. And it's simply this. Captured by the message. They were completely captured by the message of Jesus Christ. And they were yielded to the Spirit. When they heard that Jesus was the Son of God, God's very Son, flesh of flesh, came down, took on flesh, did for us what we could never do for ourselves, to show us the way to the Father, to let us know there's nothing that you could ever do to get right with God. There's not any amount of prayers, not much of giving, no matter how good you are religiously. None of those things matter because you need a Savior. And Jesus died 
even when you were enemies, even when you didn't care, even when you didn't think Jesus was the Son of God, even when you were mad at Jesus, all those things. Like, that doesn't matter. When you look to him and you look to the cross and you receive him as Lord and Savior, it changes your life and you're floored by the love of God and the peace and the hope that comes and you're completely captured by the message. When we look at Acts, they were captured by the message. And that led them to going, what do we do? God, what's on your heart? How do we follow you? How do we do this? How do we help other people know your goodness and your greatness and your love and your mercy and your patience? How do we do this? So they yielded themselves to the Spirit of God. These are great questions to ask this morning. Right now, it's a great question to ask. Are you captured by the message of Jesus? I like that word captured because it makes me think of the moment when I saw Carissa the first time, who's now my wife. I saw her on campus, kind of walking by, drove by, and I did like, whoa. I have the most beautiful wife, by the way. Captured me. Like, next thing you know, it was like all my thoughts were thinking about her. How do I see her? How do I bump into her again? I'm a shy guy, so I didn't even know how to do it. I'm one of those awkward, like, hey, you know, I, I didn't know what to do, but it, like I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And I wanted to, to be with her and be by her, so I would plan my schedule around when I knew she'd be at per, certain parts of the campus. Some call that stalking. I don't. <laughs> I call that being captured. <laughs> Are you captured with the gospel? Like some of you might be like, I, I, mm, I lost that. Just pray for the Lord to renew your salvation. Just look at Jesus again. Look at him and what he's done. Like, uh, this, this will fall on, uh, you know, hard hearts and dull ears if, if you're not even captured by the message. Like, church is, is going to be burdensome to you if, if you're not captured by Jesus because you're just going to hear things about how to live and what we should do and all this kind of stuff, and you're just going to think about a list of do's and don'ts, and you're going to feel guilty. You're always going to feel, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing this enough, I don't get to check, check, I went to church, so maybe God will like me. If I do enough good things, maybe God will have a good feeling towards me that day, and maybe he'll be this. Like, no, no, no. You've got to be captured. And when you're captured, you naturally want to yield to the Spirit. Not perfectly, but you're going to want to do what he wants you to do. You want to honor him and live for him and be in a relationship with him. You start to understand that it's not about doing things. It's about a relationship, and it's this ebb and flow. It's a very beautiful thing called ecclesia, the church. But that's what we see in Acts. So think about this for a moment, okay? This is great leadership study right here. So you got the apostles, the 11 disciples now, who've been with Jesus because Judas hung himself. So now there's 11. They saw Jesus come back from the dead and they encountered him and they were with him for 40 days. They got to be with him and they're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is life-changing. This is history-making right here. And they know that Jesus has been setting them up to lead this movement, to tell others and build the kingdom, right? And so they're probably excited about this. And then Jesus goes, oh, by the way, I'm taking off. Right? And then there's ascension that happens. And the only command that Jesus gave them, besides the Great Commission, there wasn't a blueprint of how to do that. There wasn't like a five-point series like, okay, we're going to do this first and this first and this first. All Jesus told them to do is like, okay, here's your marching orders. Wait and pray. 
Okay, and then what? Well, then the Spirit will come. Okay, and then what? You'll have to find out. Like, imagine that. You're like, okay. So there's 120 people praying, waiting. The Holy Spirit comes, Acts 2, right? The Holy Spirit comes and there's flames on top of people's head and, and they're speaking in, in tongues. In other words, they're speaking like these native languages that are foreign, but people from those countries are hearing it. And they're like, what is going on? There's this mighty rushing wind and all this stuff. And it's just this like never seen before stuff. People are going, whoa, these folks are drunk. And Peter just gets up. He's like, no, 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 no. We're not drunk. It's way too early in the morning for drinking and all that. Like he just, then he starts talking to him about the gospel. It's Jesus, the one whom you handed over, the one who you thought wasn't the son of God, the one you wanted to be done away with, the one you were saying, crucify, crucify, kill him. He died for you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you freedom and joy and peace. Like, he did this for you. Even though you hated him and you wanted him dead, you wanted nothing to do with him, he still did it for you. And we see in Acts 2, they're cut to the heart, and they don't know what to do. And they go to Peter and the other apostles, like, what shall we do now? Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. And the message is capturing their heart. They're like, Lord, we are sinners, and, and if you do have grace for us, we, we gladly receive it, and we praise you, and, and also, you know, like, repent and be baptized, because that's all Peter knew to say, that's all they knew to say, because that's what Jesus was always talking about. But when you see this phrase, repent and be baptized, folks, in order to repent, they were being captured by the message. Their heart was like, oh my goodness, you are so good willing to give up their life for the sake of Jesus. And they were like, okay, what do we do then? What do we do? That question of what do we do is a yielding to the Spirit. We want to live for you. We want to do what you're asking to. Be baptized. And that day, 3,000 did. You want to talk about church growth? And one day, 3,000 people were added to the number. Do you think Peter and those guys had any clue what to do? They're like, ah, Jesus didn't prep us for this one. Right? Like, they don't know. So what do they do? That's why I love Acts 2, 42 through 47. Because what we see in those verses is not the silver bullet to how to build a church. Not like all this stuff. No, no, no. What you see is the heartbeat of the early church. What you see is the natural reaction, the natural responses to who they were in Jesus. They didn't know what else to do, so they chose to do these things. So in Acts 2 through 47, what we're going to see is one key word that I want to highlight. So let me read this. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted. That's the word. That's the word I want you to think about. And they devoted themselves and asked the question, why? Why did they devote themselves? Was it because they had to? Was it because that's what our church does? They have a small group ministry, and so in order to be part of that church, you've got to be part of a small group. Think about that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. Devoted. I want to talk to you about your devotion. They were devoted. What a beautiful word. We're devoted to our sports teams. I'll even hiss a preacher if you say it talking bad about A&M. That's devotion. We're devoted people. That's, God created us to be devoted people, passionate people. We were created to worship. Devotion and passion and worship are very much connected. Devoted to. Why? Because of Jesus. That's why we say when you encounter Jesus, it changes everything. It is a game changer. It's all about him. The Greek picture is a very beautiful picture. It means to continually adhere to. It means we're constantly connected, continuously adhered to whatever that devotion is calling us to. So for like Longhorn fans, you're, you're adhered to Longhorns, to Austin, to UT, right? So we start thinking about this. We are adhered and devoted to Jesus. Now, yes, the other day my, uh, we had some friends over and my son was playing with them. And he, he came up to me and he goes, Dad, I don't know why, but I always just want to break things. <laughs> and I'm like... Yes, you do. You should really try to stop that. It's like, yeah, I know. It's just fun to break things. And I was just like, okay. And I started thinking about that because everything he breaks, I have to somehow come back and super glue back together. This is the image. This is the image of devoted, glued. We're broken people. Jesus comes and he saves us and he makes us whole. And this devotion is basically me where I adhered to Jesus, where I adhered to the gospel. And as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are adhered to each other as the body. But this is not going to make any sense unless you are captured by the message and yielded to the Spirit. But this word devoted is the important word because everything now that they did was an overflow of this devotion to Jesus. So what were they devoted to? Verse 42 tells us they were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Okay? That doesn't mean they were devoted to the apostles per se. Like they were because Jesus called them to be apostles to preach and to pray and do this stuff. But they were devoted simply to wanting to know more about him. When Jesus captured their hearts, there was this hunger to want to know more of God. What's he like? What does he say? How do we live? How do we do this? They were enraptured by this. This complete devotion. And they were like, the reason why the apostles were teaching, well, they were the ones that were with Jesus. They wanted to know firsthand accounts. What was he like? What was it like when, when, he, when he made the, those fish just keep coming? Peter, what was it like to walk on the water? Like, I would be asking Peter this one, or because this is the one that I'm really curious about. Peter, what was it like to be rescued when you were drowning? Peter, what was it like when Jesus came and restored you that time? Like, like they were like, tell us, tell us, tell us. They were just hungry. They wanted to know. And they didn't just do this in large group settings because now they're 3,000 plus and it's growing exponentially. And so they also had to break this down. 
but they were devoted to the word of God. Folks, listen. God gave us a treasure of his word. This word is a direct correlation of his heart. And everything God says is for your good and for his glory because God cannot do anything else. We need to come back and fall in love with his word and understand that his word is honey. His word is like a sword that cuts right to the heart. His word is everything. We, we are a little bit more devoted. If we were honest, if we were honest, we're a little bit more devoted to social media, cultural trends, what people are saying, what they would think about this issue. And we tend to then form our opinions of things based upon social media influx. And then sometimes we even let those opinions and those trends determine how we see God's word. God's word will forever stand. And it's always good. He always leads to life. That's his heart. So you've got to learn how to be devoted. That's a natural result of being captured by the message. I want to. Not you have to. The old concept of church as a building would make us think, of, well, I have to read my Bible because that's what they do and that's what they say we should do, so I need to read my Bible and be a good student of the Bible. That's like me saying to my wife, I have to take you on a date night because we're married. That's just what you have to do. Ooh, my wife, my wife would love that. Hey, can we go on a date? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I just had to put you in the schedule. They were devoted to fellowship. Not only were they devoted to God's word, but they were devoted to fellowship. And I left this word in here specifically. I could have said like groups or whatever, but the reason why I kept the word fellowship in there is because we don't understand what that word means. Right? I, okay, full disclosure. When I hear the word fellowship, I think of two things. Fellowship of the rings and Frodo Baggins. It just happens which is a great explanation of the biblical word of fellowship, by the way. And the second thing that happens is I think immediately of my church days growing up as a kid with uh, styrofoam cups and potlucks and really bad coffee and, and bad coffee breath. Like, that's what I remember the most. Like, when I hear fellowship, those two things pop in my head. And so there's church language that we use. That was really good fellowship. We had fellowship hour, and it was good fellowship. We just need to fellowship more. And we're like, well, what does that mean? Like when we hear the word fellowship, a lot of times we just mean like we got together, said hi, met some people, saw some of our friends and smiled and we had a good time and that was fellowship. That's not a biblical concept of fellowship. The biblical concept of fellowship is something that deals with commonness, but it also comes at a cost. So in order to have fellowship, it means that you're giving to something. We think of like relationships and community as something that I get rather than something I give. So fellowship carries this concept of what am I giving to this community? Because we're one in Christ, we're together. What can I give? What can I give? What can I give? And when you start to think about this, right? So it's giving your life, your talent, your treasure, and your money. This starts to make sense when you read the entirety of the New Testament. Consider others greater than yourselves. Think about their needs above your needs. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? You start to understand, like, this is fellowship. And who's our great example of that? Well, Jesus. He came to serve, not be served. He called us to do likewise, right? So we got to understand something, that fellowship happens 
Fellowship happens when we make it a practice to reach out to others and to give something of ourselves. It, it comes at a cost. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be candid. There's sometimes people will come to me when we start talking about small groups because honestly, being in a smaller group of people is going to be the greatest spiritual catalyst in your life next to God's word and prayer. Right? Doing it with other people. And here's one of the main objections I hear. Well, pastor, I tried it before. And I just didn't get anything out of it. I, I, I tried it before, and it just wasn't for me. And I'm going, then you, you, you did it wrong. You went to a small group to get something for yourself. That's not fellowship. That's consumerism. Fellowship is when we get together with other people going, how can I give my life to this group of people? How can I give parts of my heart? How can I give, like, I mean, you've got to imagine, like, think about what happened in this church. Like, you see this in chapter, or verse 44 and 47. They were giving possessions. They were selling possessions to anybody who had need. And people on the outside are going, what are you guys, nuts? Why are you doing this? Ah, because that's what we do at our church. They always talk about generosity, and they give the little offering envelope, and I don't know, that's just what we do. That wouldn't even, they, they did this with glad and generous hearts. Their answer would be like, well, Jesus gave everything. And what's this extra house to me? Yeah, but why did, Billy, why did you sell that boat for Jeanette? Well, I don't know. She needed help with medical bills. I didn't need the boat. They understood fellowship because it came at a cost. They were giving. They're giving themselves to each other. So you're going to hear me say this a little bit later. When we start talking about devotion and your next steps in small groups, maybe this is the year you start, stop thinking what you can get out of a small group and start asking, what can I give to that group of people? What can I give? They were devoted to God's word, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. In other words, that was communion, which is participating in Jesus. This symbolic act of breaking bread and drinking the cup was always an anchor in the gospel. Like, that's why I love communion. Like, it was one of the things that Jesus says, like, hey, do this in remembrance of me. You, this is an anchoring point. This is to help you understand that your community needs to be formed around what I did for you. Not around your denomination, not around your religious and pre preferences, none of those things. You center everything in the church around me. Remember, I gave my body and it was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. It was given to you freely. You give out freely. You forgive others as you've been forgiven. You think about his kingdom first instead of your kingdom first. You serve others instead of wanting to be served. Remember that. And so they would constantly do that. When they got together, large group or small group, the Lord's table, breaking of bread, was always part of it because Jesus was the center. And they were a church that was simply about Jesus. So not only were they devoted to God's word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, but they were devoted to prayer. The last three weeks, we talked about prayer and how powerful prayer is and what a gift it is that God has given us prayer. Now imagine this. 3,000 some people, some Jewish, some pagan, some Gentiles, all coming together and they're starting to understand, wow, God gave us an opportunity to talk intimately and directly with him. Like we can call him Father, and yet he's still holy, which is like, Dad, 
Like last week we saw that Jesus said, I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep knocking. I want you to keep seeking me. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. He wants us to be dependent. It's like we get this open door. Folks, how can we ever get tired and, and just unmoved by the reality that you get to talk to God Almighty at any moment you want? Really? That's exciting. You get to talk to the creator of everything. And he invites you to come at any moment, at any time, for any reason. And he says, come boldly. They were in love with this. Everything. You look at Acts, they were praying and praying and praying. A need, they would pray. They saw, they saw a concern, they would pray. When they wanted to go out and preach the word bully, they would pray. They would pray, 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 pray. Prayer wasn't supplemental to them. It was fundamental to them. They were devoted to these things. Not because this is what you do. They were devoted to things because of who they were. It was a natural result because of that. And folks, here's, here's the end result of it. Evangelism. I just want to tell you this. If you're not captured by the message, you're not going to share the message. You share what you're devoted to. You sh- you, we gladly share what we're passionate about. If we're not devoted to this, like this will just become a burden and a guilt-inducing thing. But this was a natural result. Like People looked at these lives of these individuals who were devoted to to Jesus, to each other. They were giving generously and glad and generous hearts. They kept talking about Jesus like, like, like they've never heard before, and they were praying, and there was results of their prayers, which was unheard of because no other God answers prayers, period. Now we got a father who's answering prayer, and it's just this crazy stuff, and people are like, what's going on? They're like, Jesus, I don't know what else to say. And it was just this natural thing that happened. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus. They wanted everybody to know about Jesus. And the Bible says like, and then they added, you know, the Lord was was adding to their number. The church kept growing exponentially. So where's your devotion? Where are you at this morning? And the reason why we're calling this Vision Sunday is because not, I'm not going to necessarily roll out every single thing that we got planned for the year and all the exciting things that are coming because I'm telling you, the next year is really exciting. There's a lot of really exciting things planned for us as a church for the next year. But the reason why we're calling this Vision Sunday is because I want us just to look at our hearts, assess where we're at, and decide what can we all do together to move forward. What is our next step together as a church? powerful stuff. Our job as pastors here is not only to preach and to pray, 
but it's also to develop environments where people can learn to be connected with God and fall in love with Jesus and build relationships with each other, where people can be developed and trained and sent out to make a difference in this world. Like, that's one of the main things that we get to do. And I want to share with you two environments that we're creating and that we're doing to help mobilize you to move forward this coming year with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this one isn't a new one. We've been talking about this for all month, last month, because today's September 1st, month of August. We were doing this thing called Invite Your One and challenging you to start asking the Lord, who's the one who I should be praying for and who can I invite to church? We designed this series that launches next Sunday with that person in mind. We want to start thinking through religion, what it is and what it isn't, and where does Jesus fit into this whole context. We want you to invite people because we want them to encounter Jesus, and that's why we're doing this sermon series, okay? And so we got things like that planned all year for us as a church. Now, the second thing that I want to talk about that's going to be a major change for us as a church, and I'm telling you, we're super excited about this change, okay? Coming on October 6th, October 6th, you can write this down, and if you don't get it today, totally fine. This is going to come at you every Sunday from every angle for the next month, okay? October 6th, we're going to be building out another worship service. Now, some of you are new, and you haven't been with us for the last year and a half, which is great. That's awesome. But before I came here to Austin Oaks Church, they had two worship styles here. It was traditional and it was contemporary. And there was something that God was doing in our midst in that season where he was trying to bring us together to help us understand that we're a multi-generational church, but that we're not necessarily at this time united on mission or vision. There's people who don't know each other. There was some unhealth in certain areas. And so as a leadership, we were like, okay, I think the Lord is calling us to all come together for a season and not have different musical genres, but to blend them. And so that's what we did a little over a year ago. And some people would ask me this question. It's like, so are you willing to do that and upset everyone? I was like, yep. Because we needed to come together and fall in love with Jesus as a church and understand why we do what we do. And I knew in my heart that there would be a time, another season where the Lord's like, okay, you're ready. Let's build it back out. And so we did that. That value of being simply about Jesus was greater than the dissatisfaction and discomfort of different musical genres in that season. So here's what I'm excited to tell you. We're at that spot where we're ready again to walk forward and build out another worship venue. And so we're going to build out another traditional venue, but we're not calling it traditional. Here's why. I'm from the north. The word traditional means something else to me than it does to people down here. And in the process of the last two years, when I was talking to people about traditional, there's like 20 different definitions of traditional. And so when we say traditional, it just kind of like pigeonholes it, and it leaves some people unsure of what it is. So we're going to call it something different. We're going to call it classic, okay, because it's more of a genre of traditional music. And so here's what we're going to do. Don't try to figure this out, Okay. Don't try to figure it out. We'll explain it to you in due time. I'm not going to give you all the details, but here's what we're going to do. Starting October 6th, we're going to have three services. 9 o'clock contemporary, 9.15 or 9.30. We're still working out a few little details there. We'll let you know when will be the classic service, and then 11 will be, again, contemporary. And all three services will be live preaching. Like I said, don't try to figure it out, okay? That's not your rodeo. Like, I use rodeo. You like that? Like, don't try to figure it out. Now, listen, some of you are like, well, aren't we going backwards? Aren't we doing some things that we were trying to move on? Like, 
we weren't trying to like get rid of something. We were trying to get our hearts united around Jesus. And now that we understand the mission and the heartbeat, this service serves as a missional endeavor. We know there are people that you know in the city that don't like contemporary because they're used to that and so they won't step foot into a church. We're providing an opportunity for you to invite that friend to come to that service. This has never been a value statement on music, ever. And it's not a value statement on music now. This is all about Jesus. We want to reach people. Jesus, we want to cultivate connections to God and to each other so that we can equip and to send out. We're excited about these pop opportunities, about these opportunities. Really are. And so there's going to be some of these things. We're going to de you know, give you the details as time comes on. But here's what I want us to walk away with this morning. In your sermon notes, there's five slots. Five slots. And here's what I want us to think about because I want you to imagine with me what will happen at Austin Oaks Church and in your lives, in your families, in your workplaces, in your schools, if collectively we all took our next step in these five areas. And all I want you to do is I want you to rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. This is not guilt-inducing. This is not meant to be shameful or whatever this stuff. This is just an honest assessment of where, you, where are you at and what can you do to move forward? What small step can you take? Okay, and I want you to do that. And in your small groups, I want you to talk this through. Share these things, where you're at. Be vulnerable. Give a little bit of your heart away in these moments. Okay. What will be your next step in the area of serving? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at? Are you serving? Are you not serving? Is your heart hardening? Are you burnt out? Just rank yourself. It's, it's totally okay. And just start asking, what can I do? What, what's my next step there? This doesn't necessarily just mean within the church. This could be in the community, at school, or a sports team. Because we're called to serve in many capacities. Like maybe a simple, small step could just be like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to serving for the next 30 days. In whatever capacity. As we're building out a new worship service, folks, I'm telling you, we need more people to serve. Our children's ministry is growing. We need more people to serve. Just rank yourself here. Fellowship is giving, Okay. What will your next step be in terms of groups, in terms of community? Maybe as simple as joining a group. And this doesn't mean like if you're in a small group, you're going to rank yourself at 10. That doesn't mean that. Because you can like be in a small group and not yet be in a small group. You can be in a small group and show up and not contribute. You can show up in a small group and be crabby. You can let your wife know you're only doing this for her, right? Like, be. <laughs> Maybe your next step is I'm going to be vulnerable and share this part of my life with my group. Or maybe I'm going to pull someone in my group and say, I need prayer for this. Or confess a sin in a certain area or whatever it is. Or just go like, listen, I'm struggling here spiritually and let them in. Give part of your heart away. Maybe there's someone in your small group, there's a, a need, and you know you can serve it, but you just haven't done it yet. Just rank yourself where you're at, and what can you do? God's word. Rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. 
again, listen, please hear me. I'm not trying to guilt you. It's just a good, like, okay, Lord, search my heart. Do you neglect God's word? Do you care about God's word? Are you in God's word? Like, is it a religious thing to you? Or, you know, like, just where you're at. And just go simply, you know, like, what is my next best step here? Listen, if you, if, like, if you haven't been in God's word or studied, been in, you know, even in a small group to learn, and all of a sudden you say, my next step is I'm going to have 300 consistent days of being in the Bible. Don't, small steps. Because we want, we want to build momentum. Like, one of the things I tell people is, hey, shoot for seven, but be good with five. You know, like, yeah, try to be in the Bible every day, but, you know, life happens, be good with five. Or maybe it's just simply, I'm going to try to be in the Word the first 10 minutes of every day. It's like, just start to move forward. What can be your next best step here? Prayer and invite. Pray and invite. Praying for your leaders, praying for the government, praying for your pastors, praying for your church, praying for those in your life who don't know Jesus. And then taking that extra step and inviting them, either over for dinner, for coffee, invite them to your small group, invite them to church. Just get in the life of those individuals. And last and certainly not least is is giving. On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at? Some of you are maybe like, oh, goodness, he's talking about money. If that's you, you could probably put a zero. I'm just kidding. In, in all honesty, honesty, like, like the church doesn't talk enough about money. Money ruins so many lives. I, and I want you to understand something. When you look at this passage, the generosity that overflowed wasn't because they have to. It was because they wanted to. You can't talk about Jesus. You can't talk about the gospel and not see generosity. Generosity is a value of the gospel. So, just rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. Where are you at as it relates to giving? And I just want to give you four steps that you can think about. Some of you in this room are in the nothing area. No judgment. Okay, some of you think, think like, if I get out of debt, then I'll give. Or when I get this issue settled, then I'll give. The reality is you probably won't. So maybe your best next step for this year is just going from nothing to something. And let that just be whatever the Lord puts on your heart. It could be small. It could be a lot. I don't know. That's up to you and him. Just start doing something. Maybe another step is going from something to something significant. And the way I define significant is just a percentage. You might not be at a spot where you're able to do the 10%, which is basically a threshold biblically, but like maybe you're just going, okay, I could do 4%. And just put it in your budget and, and schedule it. Maybe automate it. Just moving from something to something significant. Maybe some of you just need to go from significant to threshold. In other words, get your giving to 10%. And I, I am convinced that the Bible does talk that 10% of giving should go to the church. Because the church is the hope of God. Like it, it is the hope of this world through Jesus Christ. And so when we move from there... Maybe some of you are at a spot where God has blessed you generously, or maybe you're just at that spot. You're like, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to trust you and other things. And you move from the threshold to spirit-led sacrificial giving above 10%. 
Now, there's some of you in this room who have the spiritual gift of giving. Like, that's awesome. I want to encourage you to use that gift so all of us can move in this journey. And a lot of times, since we don't talk about it, our hearts stay where they're at. Now, again, imagine with me. What would it look like if we all chose in all five areas just to take that next step in every single area together? Seriously, what do you think would happen? Simply, Jesus would be high and exalted. And if the Lord wants to add to his number, that's on him. But people will see Jesus and they'll be moved by Jesus because he's the game changer. I, I love this verse in Acts 4, verse 13. Like, this is, this is what I'm praying for us this year, is that when people see how we live, in this case, their evangelism, the boldness of Peter and John and perceive that we're, maybe this is my life verse because this is how I feel, uneducated and common. They were astonished, but I love why. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. All of these things, these five things, are a natural overflow of who we are in Jesus because of being captured by the message and yielding to his spirit. I don't want you just to do it because you have to do it. Do it because you want to do it. And so as we come together now, I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to come on up. It's an appropriate time in our service right now just to go, we're going to center ourselves around Jesus. This is a great opportunity to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about how formative this was for this early community. This message of Jesus saying, this is my body. I gave it for you. When you take this body, remember, it, it was given for you. Do this and remember to me, this, this blood is, is my blood that was shed for you to cover your sins because that was the payment of your sins. Remember, I, I, I did this for you. And every time you celebrate communion, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. In other words, you are centering and preaching the gospel. So this is an opportunity for us just to look at those things in our lives. It's like, okay, Lord, here it is. Center me again on, your, on, on Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church, and I thank you for what you're doing. So God, in this moment, would you speak to our hearts in a way that only you can? I pray against anybody who's walking or feeling guilt and shame due to some of the things we just talked about. God, I pray that there wouldn't be guilt and shame. That's not grace and that's not truth. But conviction and motivation and inspiration is there. Lord, would you make us more and more devoted to you? Or if there's sin in our heart this morning, would you cleanse us from it? You are faithful and just to do so. In Jesus' name.